or I feel like I'm taking something for granted, I think back and I'm like, you know what, uh, I'm, I'm complaining about something. I'm, I'm saying this is too hard to do, but, you know, these Marines gave their lives. They, you know, they'd give anything to have another chance here uh, to do it over again. So when I, I kind of live, I live for them. You know, I like to say that when, you know, our, our fellow vets are having a tough time is that instead of, uh, you know, mourning for them for so long is let's live for them. Let's do something great. Dory one, this is Fireteam Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Welcome back to Military Veteran Dad, episode 62. Wow, that I can just feel the energy change and how I let that intro go. Ladies and gentlemen, today, Monday, is one of is the first full after the first full week of being an entrepreneur. This past week was amazing. <clears throat> My youngest daughter Lillian, she was on holiday, or she her daycare was closed. She wasn't on holiday. Maybe she was in her mind. Daycare was closed on Monday. The kids were off on Thursday and Friday. It was just a great feeling to be dead, but then also take some really big steps at being an entrepreneur and making everything that I've talked about in this podcast even more impactful and really stepping into a future that I can only see when I close my eyes. If you've been listening to the podcast for a long time, I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast because I know there are thousands, there's like 750,000 podcasts in the English language, and you've chosen to pick this one to spend your time so thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening and taking the time to hear what we have going on. And if you're getting value out of this, I only have one ask. Share it with a friend. There are so many veterans out there that need these messages. And this could one episode, any episode, could be the one episode they need in their life. So if you've got any value, I ask, just share with, it, with a friend on what's going on here on the Military Veteran Dad. If you haven't joined our Facebook group and you're a dad out there looking to, to do brotherhood and to do life and to find a place where you can ask questions, the hard questions, and share what's on your heart, Facebook group, there's a link down in the show notes. Go ahead, drop drop in. Love to have you there. Today's guest, Jared McGowan, is incredible. I read his book. He was introduced by me to a friend and the book, I couldn't put it down, The Heart of a Marine, and it's just a great story. Jared is a former U.S. Marine who is passionate about helping others succeed in life. He graduated from boot camp in 2003, went on to complete the School of, Infantry, School of Infantry, followed up by the Light Armored Vehicle Crewman, LAV School. Upon graduation of his infantry training, Jared was stationed at Camp Lejeune with 2nd Light Armored Resistance Battalion. In September 2004, Jared deployed to Fallujah, Iraq, served as the driver for the company ambulance LAV. During the deployment, he and other Marines fought in Operation Phantom Fury, the Fury of the Battle of Fallujah. Jared completed more than 15 combat medical evacuations throughout his seven months in the country. In September of 2006, he deployed yet again to Iraq. This time, Jared served as a vehicle commander on an LAV and functioned as the lead vehicle for his platoon company and battalion. During the seven months deployment, Jared conducted more than 300 patrols, 20 coordinate searches, 100 snap vehicle checkpoints, resulting in the discovery of three major weapon caches and detention of 20 insurgents. Upon being discharged from the Marines, Jared faced various challenges with his transition, just like many veterans faced during that transition back into civilian life, including anger, anxiety, confusion, and yes, even depression. He was able to grab hold of his issues and face them head on. Today, Jared is a veteran keynote speaker has a successful career with a Fortune 15 company, is a published author, and has earned three college degrees, a Bachelor's of Marketing, a Master's of Business Administration, and a Master's of Communication. Through his book and speaking engagement, his mission is to inspire others, especially veterans, to take action and attack life with the heart of a Marine. Guys, if that intro doesn't get you pumped up for this episode, I'm not sure what is because re-listening to this episode and preparing for it and just rereading that intro there. I am pumped to deliver this episode 
to you guys. And so without further ado, Jared McGowan, and I will talk to you again on Monday or Friday. Welcome to the show, Jared. Hi, Ben. Thank you. I am excited because we actually already had a little bit of chance to catch each other there about a month ago. And then we decided to hop on and do a podcast interview. And I always enjoy talking with fellow Marines. And I love talking with every, every veteran, but um, Marines have a little special place in my heart being a Marine. And I had you introduced to me by Larry Hagner of the Dad's Edge podcast. And when I found yeah. your book title, it really hit me with it, with the title of it being the, the heart of a Marine. And that uh, I loved reading. I couldn't put it down. Go ahead and unpack a little bit about what your family looks like right now and maybe a little bit about what your life was like leading up that led you to want to write a book about it. Yeah, it's funny when I look back at, you know, what my life was like when I left the Marine Corps versus what it looks like now, it's kind of night and day, right? Because, you know, today I have uh, a beautiful wife. I've been married nearly 10 years and April it'll be 10 years for us. So trying to play in something nice. For, for our anniversary there. And I have three kids. Uh, I have two daughters and a son, uh, 10, six, and four. And just recently, we just got our first dog. Her name is Lulu, and she's an Australian Shepherd. Um, what's interesting about her is actually she's going to be my service dog. Um, so in April, we will start our service dog training. So it'll be between 18 and 22 weeks, and then she will be a certified service dog. And Super excited about that and hopefully be able to be an advocate for service dogs for more veterans within the community. But I met Lindsay. It's funny how I met her. I met her at the gym. Uh, I was a personal trainer shortly after I got out of the Corps and I actually prospected her at the gym. She, uh, I needed a new client and I, she would always visit my, my class and I went over and started talking to her and, and next thing you know, uh, she's my wife and we have three kids and we've been together for now, pushed about 12 years, married 10, like I said. Um, but today, you know, it's really busy for us because with three kids all in school, um, the four, four-year-old being in preschool, but they're all in activity. My four-year-old's in ice hockey, soccer, and he's soon to start t-ball. And my six-year-old, she is doing gymnastics and soccer and my 10 year old in competitive cheer, uh, soccer and uh, a couple other activities as well. So our life is super busy. I work for a very large company here in St. Louis and I travel a lot. So there's times of the year where I travel nearly every week for two to three days during that week. So being home with the family, actually when I'm, when I am home with them, it's, it's very, important to me that I get a lot of time with them and I'm making sure I'm focusing on my family and what's important to me while I'm like, while I'm here. But I also, you know, myself, I enjoy, I play ice hockey pretty competitively for an old guy. I'm 36, but uh, I play uh, at least once a week, sometimes two times a week. And I, I usually hit the gym uh, at least six days a week as well. So I'm pretty active as far as my health and wellness and trying to keep my energy high and my body fat low so I can keep up with these high energy kids. Well, that's quite the resume there of being a dad. You've really got a lot going on. It sounds like your life is a bit like how I describe mine, like living in an Instapot where you always got things going on and it's kind of just a little bit crazy trying to keep it all together. And then you're traveling and you're trying to keep schedules aligned and it's no easy task for any dad. So I commend you for all the things that you've got going on in your life. All right. Thank you. Let's, I want to ask you a question because it sounds like I would describe your life as very ambitious. Would you describe your kind of entire life as ambitious or was this something that kind of this fire kind of grew in you and you wanted to start doing a lot of different things? Yeah. So when I think of that, I would say yes, uh, ambitious, but on different levels and different levels at different points in my life. And what I mean by that is, Yes, right now I'm very ambitious. I'm very future focused. Don't get that confused with I'm, I'm more focused on the future, but I'm I'm focused on what the future, the legacy of my family looks like. But the the way that I get there is focusing on the present, what I'm doing now in order to impact the future 
So I have big goals. Um, and what motivates me is not necessarily achieving those for me, but it's again, building that legacy for the family, doing it for the kids, doing it for my wife. And that's what keeps me ambitious now. But I would say I've always been the person to act on impulse, meaning I like to do big things. I like to accomplish things. I like to feel like I completed something. So I think back all the way through high school and when I graduated and I really didn't have any I say ambitions to, to uh, go to college, right? There was never any influence in my, in my home to say, hey, Jared, college is the right thing for you. So there was never any push for that. So I didn't have any ambitions as far as my career or my personal life graduating high school. And, and the reason for that is uh, my parents, you know, great parents, loved us to death, but never really had great careers to where they're making a really good living, living to um, support us, right? We always struggled. So there was never that influence in my life. And uh, when I graduated, I had, luckily, I picked up a newspaper one day that said Marines invade Iraq and something came over me, right? So I was always a competitive person, but I said, you know what? I said, I think this is for me and I want to join the Marines because it's the hardest. And sure enough, that's what I did the next, actually that day I was down at at um, the recruiter's office talking to them the next day I was downtown testing doing my ASVAB and all that and then three months later I was standing on the yellow footprint at San Diego California at the Marine Corps Recruit Depot so that's really when my life started as far as setting goals for myself and trying to achieve bigger and greater things I'm trying to think back what was the date that you landed in San Diego I landed in San Diego on May 18, 2003. May 18th. Yeah. I remember it was ahead of me because I was on in August. Okay. I landed so you like were, August 11th or something like that. So you were coming in as I was leaving. It was a, and then that year, and then later that year, uh, were you in Pendleton the rest of the year then? With MCT yeah, and everything? Yeah, so we, so we, after my 10 days leave, I came back to Pendleton and I did six, uh, eight weeks of school of infantry. And then I stayed at Pendleton for an additional six weeks for light armored vehicle crewman school. So learned how to be an LAV crewman. And then after that, I was stationed in Camp Lejeune. Because I remember that it was like October. There was a lot of fires in San Diego. And I remember having to suspend training in boot camp for almost yeah. a week. And uh, it was on the end mm -hmm. of training. So we really, it wasn't like the time where you really wished your boot camp was suspended, but you couldn't do any physical activity for like five days in a row. And you're walking around with a uh, particle mask on. It's kind of a weird, I've never been around fires. Yeah. I remember waking up and it was like Armageddon in the sky, like just this bright uh -huh. orange. Yeah, I, rem I, I remember that because that's when we were, I was either in school of infantry or LAV school. And I remember looking out of our barracks and you could see over the hills and at nighttime the sky was orange and you could just see the the fire off in the distance but they never evacuated us or or, or, or seized training for us i mean we probably went just to a different area of the base mm -hmm. i think it was in like san bernardino so i'm not sure how close pendleton was mm -hmm. in san bernardino i just remember my drill instructor saying that that he was evacuated and he went to his closet grabbed his marine corps uniforms and he left with his family <laughs> right yeah he was probably just trying to be a hard ass to us, though. Like, right. all I yeah, need is my exactly. uniforms. Everything else right. is junk. <laughs> when you were going through the Marines, a lot of Marines, I feel like, and it sounds like a little bit like you, you were in this category, too. Like, you joined to gain an identity in the beginning. Like, you really didn't have something you could clearly describe as anything. And you identified right. with the Marines, and you really resonated with, with what they gave you. Did you struggle with figuring out who you were without that uniform on? After you left? After I left the Marine Corps? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I did. I, I got out and I, it's my story. I, I, when I left the Marine Corps, it was 30 days post-combat. And it was a very tough combat deployment for us. 
in a small town called Anna, about 150 miles northwest of Baghdad. And so we, there was about um, 30% of our, I believe it was 30% of our company that was wounded in about a 30 day period. And we had one KIA and what was really difficult about our um, Sergeant Allen that was killed in action right before we were headed home was that it was so close to us being home. And we were both he and I and a few other Marines were scheduled to get out of the core right when we were getting home. So we we're really excited about it. And then he went on a mission one day and, and never came home. So it was really hard for me and, and, and a lot of other guys getting out, knowing that we were all so close and then we lost one right before we came home. But yeah, I mean, getting out and coming back home, I was thrilled to be alive, meaning I partied every night of the week when I came home, but I didn't know what I wanted to do, right? So I had this ultimatum when I was about to get out of the Corps. It was, do I want to go to San Diego and be a drill instructor? It was a, it was something that I wanted to do, or do I want to get out and go to school? And when Sergeant Allen was killed, that kind of made up my mind for me. And I said, you know what, I'm going to get out, I'm going to go to school. But that's all I knew. I, I knew I wanted to get out and go to school. I didn't have any money saved up, right? Because <laughs> I was very irresponsible and um, I didn't have any previous financial guidance. And plus, we didn't make a lot of money, right? They don't pay us the best. So when I got out, I was I was confused. But at the same time, I was in that mode to where I'm just thrilled to be alive and I'm just going to go out and spend every dollar I had at the bars. And that's kind of where I was at in my life was, I started school and I wasn't doing that well because I wasn't focused and I was more worried about who I was going to hang out with that night going out drinking at the bars versus what my future was going to look like. And then what really turned me around and changed me was when I met my now wife at the gym and then I started hanging out with her, her crowd and her friends, which was a lot better for me and just being around her. And then when she got pregnant, that's when I had that aha moment of you better get your stuff together because you are not the person that is set up to be a successful father or husband. When you were mentioning uh, losing Alan, Alan was his name, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Was it his dream to go to school? You know, we never really talked much about that. Um, he was a little bit older than me, a few years older. But I think we we were all at the point where we didn't care what we did when we got out. We, we were just so worn down from this deployment that we just wanted to get back home and get out. And that's all we ever talked about was fin- everyone getting home, finishing this deployment, and getting out of the Marine Corps. Like, don't get me wrong, we we loved the Corps, we loved what we did, but it was a tough deployment, and it really wore on us mentally, and we were just ready to get out. Because mm-hmm. I was kind of thinking back to Forrest Gump, where uh, mm-hmm. Gump did, or um, Bubba didn't come home, and, and then Forrest yeah. ended up uh, living the dream of what Bubba wanted to do. And it's yep. kind of like that was Bubba living on his legacy and walking that check to his mom and changing his her, his family tree forever after that. Uh, and I was wondering mm-hmm. if there was any uh, synergy there to the path that you decided to take. You know, not particularly, but it, it does drive me. So, you know, not only Sergeant Allen, but a couple other Marines that we lost as well. You know, it drives me when, when times do get tough or when I feel like I'm complaining about something or I feel like I'm taking something for granted, I think back and I'm like, you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm complaining about something. I'm, I'm saying this is too hard to do, but you know, these Marines gave their lives. They, you know, they give anything to have another chance here uh, to do it over again. So when I, I kind of live, I live for them. You know, I like to say that when, you know, our, our fellow vets are having a tough time is that instead of, uh, you know, mourning for them for so long is let's live for them. Let's do something great. Mm-hmm. I often have been talking probably for the last six months on the podcast. If anybody's been listening for a long time, they'll, they'll agree with this, that I've been saying it, 
that you really need to define what you're doing in your own life against the life that they don't get to live. Uh, and I kind of frame right. it as a dad uh, that there's a child that no longer gets to feel their father's love and there's a father that no longer gets to feel their kid's love and you mm-hmm. do and you owe it to that um, brother or sister that didn't come home to make sure right. that you you love your kids enough to worthy of that sacrifice that you still get to hug your kids every night and they don't. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and, and I, I truly feel like uh, my life was spared. You know, we, we all have a plan, right? God's got a plan for each of us. And Sergeant Allen, you know, if, if God decided it was his time, same with, you know, a couple other brothers that died as well. But I had some really close calls when I was there, one by a IED on a foot patrol, uh, one by an RPG. I mean, an RPG that was flying straight into the tower where I was standing and it curved down in the last minute. You know, there was uh, machine gun fire that, you know, popped just over my head multiple times. And I'm thinking, I look back at these times where it should have been my time. There was people trying to kill me, but I made it back, right? So I use that as fuel as well meaning I have a purpose. I was left on this earth to get through the Marine Corps for a purpose. And it's a matter of what is that purpose? And, and I truly feel like I'm, I'm starting to get a better idea of what that is. And one of the ways was writing my book and helping veterans transition out of the military so they can have you utilize the skills they learned or acquired to build a better life for themselves and their families. Do you think it was your 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 daughter being born that kind of switched and started waking up the legacy idea, or did you kind of have that idea before a little bit? No, it was one hundred percent her. Um, and it's funny, I, I I still remember the moment when I had that that awakening. I was sitting in an undergrad class, and I believe it was a marketing class. I still remember what the classroom looks like. It was an old building and the, it was very old desk, but it was kind of an angle kind of, uh, I guess you'd say risers um, where it wasn't a flat classroom, but I still remember what it looked like. And I remember sitting there and, and saying, Oh my God, I'm going to be a father. And I probably had $50 in my bank account and I wasn't making a lot of money. I had just gotten out of the Marine Corps. I was just trying to get my life straight. I was just trying to, uh, I guess, honestly, just not get in trouble. Mm-hmm. And from that point, I, I I was thinking about how I grew up. And again, my you know, my parents were great, but they always struggled financially. And they never had a legacy to, to carry on. And I said, you know what? I'm going to break the mold. I have to do something different. I want my kids to grow up and be able to do the things they want to do, you know, have a great influence on them and uh, not have to worry about anything. Um, So from that point, I said, you know what, I'm going to make this happen. And don't get me wrong. Since then, there's been lots of ups and downs, but you know, I always think of that picture you see where Instead of that steady, steady rise to the top, right? It's it's these dips and these valleys along the way that you got to get through, and there's definitely been plenty of those. But yeah, it was it was that point where I I realized I better get my life straight, otherwise this kid doesn't have a chance. As you reflect back that time between you when you got out of the Marine Corps and when you kind of had your awakening moment there in classroom, is there something that you were like maybe suppressing, like, was there a feeling that you were holding on that? Like, do you remember feeling numb during those times? Like, that's why you're going through the party was like, that's something. Was there a feeling that you weren't feeling that you needed to feel after you woke up? Yeah. I mean, when you, when you get out of the Marines, right, you're, 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 you're trained and you're, you're conditioned to be hard and be tough. Right. And kind of just accepts things the way they are, right? This is the way the Marine Corps does it, accept it, you know, go about your day. And then you kind of get just, in my case, drop back into the civilian world when you're 
when the last two years of your life, you were fighting a war, and then all of a sudden you're supposed to adjust right back in the civilian world, and you really don't know how to live, right? You don't understand, especially at that age, you, you don't understand how to take care of yourself. And then all of a sudden you realize, hey, it's not about me anymore. I'm not just taking care of myself. Now I'm going to have, you know, a future wife, a daughter, and, you know, future kids after that. I better straighten up. And it was hard, but I still struggle with this. But it's been a very humbling experience. And I always give credit back to my wife because she's the one that keeps me grounded, keeps me relaxed. Um, when I start, uh, I, I say treating my kids like they're Marine because they're not right. Mm-hmm. But we, we get into that mode of, these high expectations for children, um, which is good to have high expectations, but you know, you can overdo it. And I know I do. Um, but yeah, it's been definitely a learning curve for me. There's a question that I've been really liking to ask, and I I think it would work perfect here for you. If you were to time travel back one month after leaving the Marine Corps and you could give yourself one piece of advice on a sticky note and leave it on the table for you to find, what would you want that Jared to find? What message did Jared need to hear back then? That's a good one. I would say, and this is a very simple one, start reading. And and the reason I say that is because reading books is really what has helped me develop as a father, husband, leader, not only in my home, at work, in the community, reading books. And I was never into reading, right? I was never into education. Education. You mean you weren't on the combinations reading list every week? Right. No. <laughs> but, you know, the simplest thing like that, that I didn't really start reading until probably five years after I got out of the Marine Corps. I think it was almost and, 12 for me almost before I started reading. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and, it's little things like that. And I think how many more books could I've read that, you know, it just takes that one book that you connect with that makes you change your whole mindset to become a different person. I often think about like doing these podcasts, like sitting in Okinawa doing nothing in barracks room. I'm like, uh man, I could have ran an awesome podcast in all that spare time. (laughs) Yeah. All I did was nothing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And and you think it's funny when you hear that because I, I hear that every day, you know, oh, I don't have time to do something. Well, you do. You're just doing other things that are you find more important. And, you know, so I there was there'd be a lot of opportunity for me to, to read books and um, and really start surrounding myself with different people. Right. Because they say that the five people you surround yourself with the most your, your income is probably an average of those five. And it's very true. And one of the things I write about in my book as well is, you know, how do you get these mentors, these high value mentors? Because you can't necessarily, as an average Joe, walk up to the CEO of Amazon or um, Apple and say, hey, will you be my mentor? It's just not going to happen. But how do you get those folks in your corner? And I, I, I've figured it out on how, you know, ultimately to get higher value people or people where you want, where you see yourself in five, 10, 20 years to be your mentor and to start working with you and to teach you things that they know. I like, there was a Zig Ziglar, which was kind of like my very first self-help guru um, mm-hmm. and then I found out he was dead already. I was like, damn, I missed the heyday already. But <laughs> there was a, a, a pretty much a quote that governed the first four years of my self-help journey, which was you are where you are because what has gone into your mind and you can change where you are and who you are by changing what goes on to your, into your mind. And so I was like, well, that makes perfect sense. I, everything I am today, I am because of what I've consumed. And then it was like, yep. I can change where I am and who I am by changing what I consume. And if you think about all the crap that I had just done and it was just like, that mm-hmm. really did nothing for me. And then, so that's when I 
almost became addicted to reading. And then I, I consumed yeah. a lot of knowledge, but I wasn't doing anything with it, which is a dangerous sword where it's two-sided. You got to sure. take action on what you're reading because reading and knowing, everybody knows what to do, but most people don't actually do it. The doing is where it, right. work is. Right. No, I, those I, Marines I know not what to do on the weekend, but we still do it and still yeah. get in trouble for them. Right. Yeah, and I agree. I mean, that that's one thing that's really held me strong, too. And I, I, I got that out of The Traveler's Gift. It was a book by Andy Andrews, one of his, I think it was his first book. It, it, it really changed my mindset because he says the same thing, right? You are where you are today because of every decision that you've ever made. And since you're thinking dictates your decisions you are where you are today because of the way you think and it's so true because and and like you said about taking action right so many people think about what they should be doing or shouldn't be doing but there's never any action to change right because you always hear that people would die for their kids right but would they change for their kids more than likely not. I mean, uh, this is kind of taking off, us off topic, but one of my big focuses for 2020 is health and fitness, right? I've always been into working out and eating right and things like that. But I've been on kind of a, a downward spiral, spiral the last five years. I still work out, but not that hard. I'm like, you know what? This year is going to be the year. and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change my physical appearance. I'm going to get in better shape. My conditioning is going to be better. And I'm going to be able to keep up with my kids a little bit more and have energy for them. And so that's been my focus. But yeah, it's that change versus I'll die for my kids. But will you truly change for them? I always like to test and I don't know whether you, where you fall into it, but like when you, if you're a dad that does travel and you're mm-hmm. away from all the noise of a family, you really just have your, whatever you're traveling for during the day and you've got your hotel room at night, like statistically, right. The, the amount of hotel gyms in America that are empty every morning is crazy. Uh-huh. But there's no excuse of why you shouldn't be at the hotel gym because your kids aren't with you. And all it is is your own kind of self-pity that you're probably sitting in that keeps you in bed because yep. you want to sleep in because you never get to sleep in maybe. But like that's a simple test that like – right. And I always – I don't do it fully successfully, but I, I, I really try to starve the fear wolf and kick the lazy guy in the pants every time I'm in a hotel room. To get to the gym because it's yeah. There's no, there's literally no excuse why you should be in the hotel gym every morning. Um, where do you fall in that category? Since you were right. traveling, I was wondering where, where you sit. Yeah. You know, and, and don't get me wrong. I, I, I try. I think I was on sixty flights last year, so I traveled a lot and I was all over the country. I did work out in some of the gyms, but this year it's going to be different, right? Because I've been working out here six days a week. Um, and as my travel starts to pick up in February and then throughout the remainder of the year, I will make it a point to make sure I hit the hotel gym. I always see it. So I walk by it. Yeah. Everybody walks by it. They see (laughs) it. They're just empty, you know? Yeah. But you know, it's, it's that, um, personal accountability, right? So I, I would always give myself the excuse, well, I work out at home or I play hockey I'm just going to focus on what I need to do here in town for work. I'm going to yeah, catch up on my sleep, catch up on my, my work, maybe even watch a hockey game or, or something like that. But I was making excuses, right? But yeah, this year is going to be a little bit different as far as making sure I do bring my workout, my workout gear so I can get a workout in because it makes you feel better. I mean, it does not only physically, but mentally it's a way to, to distress and, and, and really help put your body at ease versus always being so stressed out. No matter who you are, you have stress in your life. Mm-hmm. Even rich people, everybody work, creates their own prison. Yeah. And working out, it's, it's, a, it's proven. It works. It, it helps you uh, at least just leave it at the door while you're working out. It, it increase, increases those endorphins. And then, you know, as you feel better about yourself and the confidence that it brings to you, it, it, it improves your overall quality of life. I wonder if there's a trap that you fall into that I've recently fell into this past year that I really noticed. And it can happen when you think like you start doing things for your kids or you start doing it, maybe you're overweight and you're trying to look better for your wife maybe. So you start going to the gym. But then right. there's like this psychological mechanism where you're doing it for others 
And as long uh-huh. as they see you doing it, it's a check in the box. And then right. when no one's watching, you somehow don't have the internal accountability to do it for yourself mm-hmm. because no one that you were doing it for was yep. there to see. Is that something you've fallen into? I did. I did. I, I, I would say I've fallen into that the last five years. And, and here's what I did to change it was I joined a group training studio and a buddy of mine owns this place and it's it's a place to where you're not working out on your own it's not personal training but it's group training and it's different in a couple different ways and you're seeing studios like this pop up all over the place but not only are you in a class with anywhere from we'll say five to 30 people depending on the day but it's quick you're in and out in 45 minutes so it's quick i write i don't have to a lot, a lot of, uh, a lot of time each day for it, but I also have a heart monitor strapped onto me that projects my score and my heart rate on the screen and ranks me versus everybody in the class. So myself being a Marine, I'm competitive. Like there's no way you're going to get your heart rate and keep it higher than mine. That's my mentality. So having that competitive place to go and seeing some of the same people that you see every class and you see that, Hey, they're not missing classes. So I'm not going to miss class, but they also have a board that kind of ranks you based on how consistent you are coming. And with me again, being competitive, I don't want to be towards the bottom. Yeah, you I don't want to be, be the black ball at the bottom. That exactly. It, someone's going to put a sticker up there next. Like this guy's a Marine. You should really get yeah, crap. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, they, and they all know, right? Because one of the trainers, her husband's a, a uh, her husband's a Marine. And, uh, there's a, and that's, that's where I met Larry and he introduced me to you. And, uh, but there was, there, there's so many other military folks in there, but also I have a big USMC tattoo on my calf. So mm-hmm. I wear shorts. And so people know I'm a Marine. I can't be, uh, slacking, but I've only missed a few days in uh, over a month. And that the reason I missed was because I was traveling. So it's, it's definitely been something new for me, but it, it holds, I hold myself accountable. I don't want to miss. And now I'm starting to build that habit too, that, Hey, I feel good. And if I don't do this today, I'm going to, I'm not only going to regret it, but I'm going to, I'm going to feel horrible because I didn't get a good workout in. Yeah. I want to ask another question in the same category that I think a lot of um, people with survivor's guilt get stuck in. They really struggle to love themselves through the bad, the good and the ugly because they just can't come to like forgive or even just find love for themselves of what they went through. And that's often Mm -hmm. what creates that um, inability to be able to take action for yourself because I know there's times where if I'm eating a bowl of ice cream, that could be in many cases, like subconsciously my brain punishing me for my, for some mm-hmm. feeling or some pity. So it's like a self pity party through ice cream. Like, Oh, you're going to have ice cream cause that'll make you fatter. And that will right. hurt your self love and you deserve it to be punished for whatever you're not forgiving yourself. Mm-hmm. And you, have you ever had to work through that as with what you went through from Iraq and then coming home and then working through this, like, was there like a self-love type thing that you had to grow, grow through? Yeah. I mean, you always, I always fight the internal battle and it, it don't get me wrong. It's, it, it's getting easier now. It, it, I still fight them, but I've learned to use my kids and my wife as fuel for me. Meaning when I do, I, and I'm getting better with, especially with the books I've read and, and I'm, you know, over the years you get to know yourself better and you understand I don't get me wrong. I make more excuses and, or, or just as much as anyone else. But often when I'm making those excuses, why I can't do something or why I shouldn't or don't want to do something, I'm pretty good at catching myself when I am having one of those pity parties or coming down on myself hard or um, feeling sorry for myself. I really use my kids and my wife as that motivation, right? To pull me out of it because they're the ones that are, have truly helped me get to where I am as far as giving me that drive and that motivation. That's something to live for. So I've, I've learned to be able to channel that energy into 
something productive, right? Because I know if I'm feeling that way, I need to do something that makes me feel good, that makes me feel like I'm accomplishing something. So whether it be something as far as um, giving, writing more or, you know, working on something that's going to give back to vets or, or Marines, or maybe it's something that I'm doing for my kids, right? Maybe I say, you know what? I think I need to spend more time with Easton today, my youngest. And I, I think he needs that. And that by doing that, it makes me feel better. I like that. And I've often found when you're focused inward on your own issues, that's a good signal that you need to do something X word for someone else. Because when you do do something for something else, you generally start feeling good about yourself. Yeah. And it's funny because I was just looking at the books upstairs a little while ago, a couple of that I've read this year. One was the, I believe it's the law of happiness. And it's really about, you know, there's, and I don't want to quote this because I, I can't think of it offhand, but one of the things that determines the happiest people and why they're happy, it's not the money or the things that they have. It's how they contribute to society and the things that they're doing outward, right? Not for mm -hmm. themselves, not personally, not selfishly, but what are they doing for others? And that's what determines how happy you are in life. Yeah. And that advice applies to even marriage. Cause I mean, think of how many, I, I know I'm in this trap is sometimes where, where you feel like something's not going right in your marriage and you start focusing on what you don't have. And then when right. you start doing that, you can justify really anything and anything can be crappy from that view. And exactly. when you start doing that, you're really losing sight of that. You're, you're supposed to be thinking of her needs, not your own needs. And you always say right. it, it's, something I've just kind of become aware of in my subconscious. Uh, sure. And so now I got to kind of flip it. Maybe I'll pivot from that question to as what you went through is, I would say is a fairly common thing to try to get through. What advice would you give other dads out there when um, working with their wife through this type of stuff that maybe you did that helped um, the marriage continue to thrive through what you were growing through? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I look back at when we were first married, you know, over the last 10 years, and I've, I've grown um, on a couple different levels, not just me. I say me, but my wife and I have both grown. And don't get me wrong, we're still growing, and we got a lot of growing to do. But I would say what you just talked on was I was very selfish when we first got married, right? And I think a lot of people are. But I was very selfish and it was all about me and my wants and what am I doing? What are you doing for me? And once I, re once I realized that this isn't going to work if I'm doing this and I need to slow down and I need to focus outward my attention on my family, what am I, you know, don't get me wrong. I still did things that made me happy and I still do. For example, hockey is my is my go-to stress reliever stress reliever it's what makes me happy my wife asked me years back and she said how long are you going to play hockey for like she was expecting an end date i said mm -hmm. until i'm dead and she kind of looked at me crazy and i said that it's what makes me happy i'm always going to do it now don't get me wrong it doesn't take precedence over my family or work or anything like that but it is my happy place and once we figured out that you have to have those places to unwind that you need to be able to give your spouse time to just get away. And sometimes we just both need to get away, especially mm -hmm. from the kids. Right. Um, but it's being able to step back and, and stop being selfish about it and realize that the decisions that you're making need to be for your family versus benefiting you. So being able to sacrifice, right, being able to sacrifice your time, um, your energy, resources from benefiting yourself versus benefiting the family or the team. And so since I've learned that, I, it, don't, get, don't get me wrong, things were very hard in the beginning. They're getting better as the years go on, but it's 
and you learn how to forgive much quicker too, because you want to not keep that tension in the house so long. Um, but, uh, but yeah, sacrifice, I would say for the dads out there is sacrifice for the family and make sure you're making decisions that are going to help build a legacy for your family. And what you just hit on there is the biggest takeaway out of doing this episode or out now almost 57 episodes um, is the that is focusing on that legacy. And I really have, it, it affects every military dad, no matter which stage of your transition or service doesn't matter that if you're active, your formula usually is your service is your priority because that's, it's a noble sacrifice and it's an easy place to bury your time and you really don't have a choice. You're going to do what you're told. Right. And your other things take secondary, but you really, all of that is a credit card that you borrow from. It's right. time. And if you don't right. realize it, it, they're charging interest in that transaction and you have to repay it with interest when you are home. And the other right. second one is that I've, I've really, uh, I think it was like maybe a month ago, I really realized that, and I don't think many people think of this, but the finality of marriage is it's to the end. Like there is no other contract right. that you will make as a human being. If you are married, that takes you to right. the end of your grave. And even your kids, your kids are going to leave you. They're going to still need you, but they're going to leave. It's right. certainty. But your contract to your marriage and your, your vows, that literally right. is the one thing that will, is your plan was to go all the way to the end with. And mm -hmm. so many military dads never have that priority list. And I think even just as American culture, we just get hung up on either vicariously living through our kids or just making sure our kids are the focus of our lives. But I think that's what leads to the divorce rate and the kids leave right. and they don't, they're strangers to their spouse and they're like, I don't really right. know you anymore. I think we need to part ways. Um, but you really need to prioritize that relationship and that connection with your wife because it's, it's the one thing that's going to take you to the end. Yeah, I mean, you're you're 100. I mean, I always think of my four F's. I guess you can make more F's out of this, but your your faith, your family, and your fitness and your finances. Now you can flip flop your fitness and your finances depending on who you are, but keeping those things in order and in that order is what's really going to hold your family together, right? Because you can't do much without your faith. You can't do anything without your family. I can't even imagine if I didn't have my wife and kids. I I would sit in a dark basement and not do anything. I just I I don't know what eat a bowl I, of I would ice do. cream. That's what I look. Yeah, I would sit. I I would eat buckets of ice cream <laughs> with Oreos. <laughs> and, yeah, and I my my I just don't understand. I I would I can't fathom that. But you know, but you get, you got to have your family and. In my priority, fitness and finances are right there, even with each other. You know, my my big focus is paying down debt every year, pay down debt until I'm debt free. And the reason for that, right, is because you're truly not free until you're debt free. Mm -hmm. And I want to be able to again build that legacy for my family. And you cannot do that with debt over your head. And debt is the easy, and getting rid of your debt, I'm a big Dave Ramsey fan. Uh, we killed our debt uh, two years ago on a four-year journey to kill it. Wow. And uh, like, I always liked when people do the debt-free scream on a show it, that they're always talking about that your family tree is literally changed forever. And yeah. there's, there's it, even if you F up your life horribly, not having right. debt and gifting your kids the ability to, of, to have that mindset you can be right. the worst dad on the planet and you will still give your kids the best fruit from that tree because that's the one thing in America that we're horrible at. Right. And uh, I've really, um, as a parent, I really try, it's, it's super hard these days because kids are surrounded by it, but teaching kids that like happiness doesn't come from the next iPhone. It doesn't come from the Apple watch. It doesn't come from mm -hmm. the Jojo videos and everything that she has on the internet. Right. And that's where kids kind of get hung up on, like externally sourcing their happiness and it, it's and that takes right. money and that just digs you into a bigger hole of misery. And then that's you up in the basement all on your own, sometimes eating ice cream with Oreos on it. And I, yeah, it, it's always in the back of my head and it's super hard, but like that's when you think of legacy, you really are thinking about changing your family tree, especially if you have a tree that has just really struggled, struggled to go. Maybe you didn't have good parents and, and maybe you, right. you didn't even know your parents. Maybe you were abandoned. Mm -hmm. All of these things, yeah. you're 
and this is the part that I love about your story is that it really does inspire military dads to create an incredible life because as a veteran, we're already less than 1% of the population. And our view is less than 1% of the population of the world. And if we can take that view that only less than 1% have and create amazing kids, like the world can't help but change positively if we wake up and be the military dads and use the experience and wisdom that only we have to create amazing adults. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 you're exactly right. And, you know, teaching these kids to, for one, being a military dad, your, your kids are brought up to love the country they live in and to hopefully not take anything for granted. But we're fighting this constant battle of this entitlement, right? Or they, they do see these YouTube videos of these people that have everything that they could ever want and they don't see them working for it, right? Because mm-hmm. if it's but they don't YouTube see how miserable they are on the inside. Exactly. So there's, you know, I always let them know happiness is a choice. And my 10 year old starting to understand that the other two are still too young, but really just leading by example, right. And and showing them an optimistic mindset, uh, you know, not being the pessimist, really just being positive about life and loving life and wanting to do things. And one thing we've really committed to over the last few years is let's take them on trips, right? We, we really cut back on, um, physical presence, you know, Christmas time and things like that. They get a few toys here and there, but it's, let's give them experiences. So in 2019, we went on two cruises and it was a blast and it was so cool to be able to, don't get me wrong. it, it, It was amazing, but it also felt, I felt, I felt very proud that we were able to bring our kids on two vacations like that in one year. Mm-hmm. You know, looking back 10 years ago, I couldn't even have taken my, I couldn't even have got a plane ticket for myself. I mean, I, I was, I was broke and I look at like, I look back and I'm thinking, wow, you know, we've really came a long way, but I want my kids to see the world. I want them to have different um, experiences than I had because the first time I was on an airplane, I was 14 years old. And then the next time I was on an airplane, it was going to MCRD San Diego. <laughs> so, uh, you know, they've, they've, they've been to Florida more times in their first four years in life than I did by the time I was 25. And, you know, but, but also not letting them feel entitled or taking that for granted that, oh, mommy and daddy take us on trips. They, they need to understand that these trips are very important and that mom and dad worked very hard to be able to take us on these trips. What you're speaking to is um, that military dads have a depth to the world that also less than 1% of the population have. Like there's a statistic that 20% of Americans have a passport and only 10% of Americans actually use it. And yet somehow we assume we have the worldly view when only 10% actually know how the world works. And we have such unique experiences seeing the world that it's, I've always just kind of described it as like a, I'd really love to take my kids to India one day so they can see uh-huh. a kid with absolutely nothing with the biggest nothing, smile on yeah. his face you ever saw. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like that, that lesson, that depth, that human emotion of, of, I mean, I remember going to the Philippines, I was touched on that and I grew up on a farm and never left the United States, never had a passport. I was with the first one to ever cross an ocean. And so I'm getting stationed right. in Okinawa, Japan, going to Korea, the Philippines, Australia. Um, and now I kind of uh-huh. describe it as like, as a military dad, we owe it to our kids to give them the widest view of the American dream. And every one of those experiences just gives them that nudge to get outside of their life, to see it from a different angle and see a different possibility of life that they don't get in St. Louis or Wisconsin. Even. Right. Yeah. 100%. And you can't figure and- out what you want to do to grow up when you just spend 10, 12 years in school. And that's the default model that you just mm-hmm. go to school for 12, 12 years, you figure out what you want to do, you go to a factory, you hope you get a good job, you get a trade skill. But that's often right. just the recipe of the American dream of having debt and a car payment you can't afford and you got kids now, so you got to keep the job and, and you're 40 right. crisis. Yeah, and you know, one of, the, one of the skills that kids growing up today now are lacking are communication skills, interpersonal communication skills because they'll talk to their best friend in the same room through text message. Mm-hmm. So, 
Yeah, it's it's those skills that we make sure my wife and I are working really hard to get our kids to even if you feel uncomfortable, talk. You need to make you know you need to have these interpersonal relationship skills, and we model that for them. So you know they're still at a young age, so we're still fighting that battle. But you know ultimately, hopefully, when we grow, when they when they're growing up, and we hear good things about my daughter going over to friend's house for sleepovers, like she's so polite, she's great manners. So I'm like, that's great. If she used them here, it'd be even better. Yeah, but it would hey, be. I always you know, get that at school. Like, yeah. oh, she's such a good girl at school, and I'm yeah. like. <laughs> like oh she does is she emotional at school no she's not she's fine and i'm yeah. like everything uh-huh. is like the from zero to ten it's the world's gonna end and just it's a simple thing or yeah my son's well, always emotional you know he's never doing, emotional at school yeah you know you're doing it right because at least they you know they feel it's their comfort zone at home so that's why they do it there and we we know that but it's hard on us but yeah. at least they're doing it out in public and that's that's all we can ask for mm-hmm. and they're getting outside of it they're exploring um even just the two weeks ago we went sledding and uh my son i rode down the hill like for i don't know felt like 300 times it was probably only like 15 and then i finally got him to go down by himself and it yeah. was it was super scary but then he did it and then he kept doing it and then he was hooked it but then like that little moment was that was right. uh, an important moment because he realized to take the challenge on his own and he conquered his fear and like that little right. moment is what your job is as a dad to keep repeating because that exactly. is how they take the final step outside your house and hopefully not returning. But you right. have to keep building up that confidence that um, I, I wrote a blog post in December that said uh, the best gift you can give your kids at Christmas is the belief that they have everything inside already that they need and they just need to believe that yeah. it's there. It's there. Yeah. It doesn't well, come I, from Instagram followers. It doesn't come from YouTube right. followers. It's already mm-hmm. there inside. No, yeah. I mean, we and with our kids, we we limit their technology use. We're very tight on it um, to make sure they're not, you know, relying on that and that's what they're wanting to do every day. So we really limit that. But you know, I I, I try to get, get to the point across my oldest, my daughter, that's ten and a half, to say, I'm raising you, and I'm telling you to do these things or not to do these things because I want you to be a valuable member to society. And I don't care what you end up doing as you get older, what you decide to do, but I want you to be a valuable member to society and teaching you how to be an adult that can take care of yourself. And it's all of these little things that we're doing. And and she doesn't necessarily get it, but I can at least talk to her about it right now. And she, as she gets older, she'll start to pick up on a little bit more of that mm-hmm. and understand a little bit more. I think they get it. Cause sometimes like, it'll be like a, almost like six months later, my daughter will figure out something that I've been trying to tell her. And uh, I think a lot of it, just creating a space where you can talk to them because I've right. heard it described, like you want to be there for the small things because someday it'll be the big things and you want to make sure they can come back and tell you. And mm-hmm. so even if you just want to be to know that you can talk about anything. And I think one thing that's cool about military dads, we have so many cool stories to help our kids. Right. That's often helps us through our own story, but then that's how you can relate. And there's so much wisdom from our own life. And it's an easy way for you to connect with your bond with your kids in a way. And they get to know you like right. I really don't know. It was just like uh, last Easter. I learned for the very first time that my dad raised, raised uh, rabbits on the farm. And at Easter time, he probably had 120 rabbits that he was uh, selling wow. at Easter time. And I was like, I never knew this. And he's like 65 yeah. and I'm 35. Yeah. You never know. You had 120 Easter bunnies running around. <laughs> no. And it was just like, these are stories that I wish I would know more of. And Right. Yeah. And, and, and our well, kids are going to want to have the same thing, especially being in the military. It's just going to be a curiosity. They want to know what life, dad's life was like. and. Uh-huh. A lot of the other generations well, didn't talk about what they did when they came home. Well, yeah, and that's that was one of the major drivers when I wrote my book or why I wrote my book, right? There's a couple of different factors was, hey, I want to help veterans transitioning out of the military. But also, if no one else buys this book, my kids will have it. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have my story. And these are the stories that would go to the grave with me. So... I didn't, you know, it's not like I talk about all the stories in the books every day or I ha- have even talked about them, but I put them in there 
because when my kids are my age and or when they're when their grandparents are self I'm long gone these I mean this is these are going to be in the history books I mean these wars are already in the history books and they're going to be able to pull this out and say wow this was my dad and this was his story this is what he did and this is how he built this life and this is why we are where we are today in our family because of this book and what he did or even the reminder that you that your gift of life into this world helped bring dad home exactly and i made i made sure to put you know point that out in there you you asked so, before we started this interview what what it meant for when you asked the question to come home i would really say you came home when you when you when you were sitting in that classroom and you realized I need to be a dad and I need to be present and I am not yeah. there. That was your first step to being that dad you want to be tomorrow. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, that, that would probably be that moment where I had that realization and, you know, it, and I say it was my first child, but it, it got stronger with each child. So mm-hmm. with the second, I got a little more motivated. And by the third, I'm like, I'm going to conquer the world. There's nobody stopping me. And at that point, when my when my son was born, the third or third child, I was full head of steam going. I was I was I was I'm sorry, kicking ass and taking names um, in my career and in my life. And I have not slowed down from then. I've had some barriers that have came up, but I haven't slowed down. And it's just, it's been the greatest thing. And so now when times do get harder, when I'm going through tough times, trying to improve or trying to get to the next level, I think about those kiddos and that's what keeps me from moving forward. Right. And you ultimately just want to keep going. As long as you don't quit, you're fine. Just keep moving forward. And they are the ones that keep me moving forward. I I describe podcasting a similar way. Like you only fail a podcasting if you quit. And then same thing with dad. You only fail as a dad yeah. when you quit. Right. And the day you quit is the day that you always regret for the rest of your life because you look back and be like, exactly. I really left something major on the table and my kids are probably still dealing with whatever trauma I caused by me quitting. Um, me, exactly. Either quitting by killing yourself, which would be the worst case scar that you could leave on your children's mm-hmm. art, or even just not knowing their dad. Maybe you just moved up and left. Like That's, that's the worst right. case scenario. So you only quit when you actually walk away from the problem. And you only fail when you, when you walk away. So Jared, as we yeah. wrap up this interview, I'd like to challenge what's a parting piece of advice you want to make sure that every military dad hears and understands as a piece of wisdom from your life. You know, I would say that going back to that sacrifice and, but really setting goals with yourself and your family and realizing where do you see yourself and your family over the next one year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, and so on? And what is one thing today that you can either change or take action on that is going to help you propel you and your family in that right direction? So meaning is it you haven't been reading, you haven't been reading any books to help yourself improve, I'm going to start reading a book. It can be as simple as picking up a book, reading one chapter a night. Before you know it, you're reading two books a month. Then you're reading four books a month. And it just, it it builds on one another. And then taking this knowledge and putting it into your brain and taking a few bits and pieces from each book and applying it to your life. Before you know it, you're 10 years down the road and you've um, taking a lot of action, you've made a lot of change in your life. But to really, I would say for the military dads, for those vets out there, is show, don't be, don't be too humble in telling people what you're capable of doing, right? If you were in the military, no matter what job you had, you were brought in with no skills in that in that area of work, meaning I hit, was not an infantry Marine before I joined the infantry. Um, you know, um, helicopter mechanics, they didn't do that before they joined the military. We were taught of a, a specific role, specific job, and we executed. 
And we did it with the soft skills that we have, right? We have the ability to solve problems and work well under pressure. You have that every day and you need to be able to translate that experience to other employers or whatever the case may be, but be able to translate that and believe in yourself that you can do anything as long as you're given the opportunity. I like that. And uh, it reminds me of a cloyism I came up with when I conquered my own fear of the gym. Because the Marine Corps, I pretty much tried everything that I could to try to be fit. And I feel like I failed. So I went away with like a 10-year uh-huh. fear of working out because I didn't want to face that failure. Right. And it was like day two. And I started a 5 a.m. gym habit. So I really like dove all into being crazy a little bit. Uh-huh. And it was like day two. And I was like, you know what? This is something that I'm doing. And it's over by 545. And I was like, this is something that changes every tomorrow just by showing up. And I could have a horrible day. I could have the worst day ever. And by 545, I'd already done something that will change every tomorrow. Right. And that's what you're gifting there that just keep, just answer those questions. What's something, what's the smallest, brilliantly in the next, in the Frozen 2 movie, I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, the piece of advice she gives is just take the next right step, whatever feels right. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, so many people get wrapped up in what's going wrong. Well, what's going right? What's going right in your life? And really focus on that because there's nothing you can do about the negatives, right? The negatives are going to happen, but being optimistic, being positive about things. And you know what? One of the biggest things that will help you get ahead in life and to have a successful life is just be kind to people. Have a heart for helping people. When people need help, help them in whatever way you can. It doesn't have to be monetary. And just, it could be as simple as holding a door open for somebody going into the gas station, smiling, saying good morning. It could change mm. their day. It could change their month. Right? It could create this domino effect or uh, the butterfly flat effect. And it could create waves of changes across the world from one act of kindness. So I, I just challenge people to do that. It's just, just be a kind person. I always I mean, uh, tell people, uh, you never know what it took for someone to put their pants on that day. So yeah. you never know which one is the one that you really need to, to remind them why they exist because maybe it was all they could do to put their pants on that day. Exactly. Well, Jared, I really appreciated this interview and I am positive that we brought a lot of dads home because you have a story that I think a lot of military dads can relate to. And like I said, I loved your book, The Heart of a Marine, because one, I am a Marine, so I really resonated with the story. But I like just the idea of how you tell your story and then craft it into creating an amazing legacy. And I'll include a link for that book in the bottom of the show notes. It's a quick read. It was only like 60 pages. So I polished it off in like a night and a half and I couldn't put it down. There you go. Um, (laughs) It wasn't past my bedtime to get up in the morning. I probably could have finished it off in in one night, but I had to be a good Marine and go to bed on time. There you go. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And I, I appreciate you writing it. And I am looking forward to growing this friendship. And hopefully I get to see you someday and give you a hug in person and appreciate you for uh, coming into my life. Yes, I I agree. And uh, same to you. And I look forward to uh, us connecting here in the very near future. That's a wrap. And thank you for listening to today's show. And I really hope you enjoyed it. The lifeblood of any new podcast are the reviews. If you haven't reviewed the podcast yet in iTunes, I would really appreciate it. And you will help us get the message out to even more military veteran dads. As John Maxwell says, if there is hope in the future, there is power in the present. Dads, it's time to come home.